0: I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review.
1: Welcome to episode 138, Why Can't I Be Like You? This week we're discussing series 9, episode 10 of Doctor Who, Face the Raven, and season 2, episode 17 of Angel, Disharmony.
0: As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. So face the raven. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to admit, I kept thinking of uh, uh, the Blue Acer Cult song "Fear the Reaper," or "Don't <laughs> Don't Don't Fear the Reaper." I know is the actual uh, thing, but um, yeah, the face the raven, fear the reaper. I feel like and yeah. and like conceptually, I feel like they're actually pretty close. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, that the raven is kind of yeah. the reaper in this sense. It's you know. Yeah. That's kind of the the, the symbolic meaning of Face the Raven is, uh, you know, when she says, like, everybody does this alone, you know, she's not literally talking about, like, everybody has to face an actual raven. It's like, you know, this is death in the, like, abstract, I guess.
0: Okay, I I know we weren't starting here, but since we're talking about it. uh, One, that reminds me of um, Firefly, quote, that everybody dies a little yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. uh which didn't uh, oddly i usually pick up on those like in the episode but um that's right, i just right. sort of said that uh the other thing is um it just occurred to me that um I, again something i literally just was thinking of now as you were talking um the raven is of course also a symbol from norse mythology mm-hmm. and if you get you know, a shilder with her biking background sure and and uh you know the whole discussion of Odin, I believe Odin had ravens or Yeah, at least two in some, ravens, yeah, yeah, mythology or whatever uh,
1: so yeah I don't, and I don't they know were if, sorry Beth. well, I was just gonna say they were um <laughs> Google is failing me at the moment, but um one of them is memory, and the other one is something else, which I can't remember, uh. And Google is seriously giving me a hard time at the moment. Why is that
0: <laughs> um, yeah, but uh okay, so I mean just just the thought there that there's uh, you oh, know, mind,
1: that... mind is the other one memory and mind, which I feel like would would go well with our whole Doctor Who memory, you know uh yeah. You know stuff that we've talked about, and the, that that being associated with like death or the bird of ill omen, or all those you know the gods and all those sorts of things, kind of all like jumbled together, really. Um,
0: yeah, and not not just generally. I mean, it is generally a concept that we've talked about quite a bit, but also this episode where you have mm-hmm. you starting out right from the beginning, you have Riggsy losing his memory, not remembering what yeah. he's done uh or you know what happened to him or whatever um yeah so yeah yeah very very interesting uh
1: i feel like <laughs> i feel like already 2 minutes in we've got more out of this episode than we did last week which is kind of funny um
0: <laughs> i which goes
1: well for the rest of the
0: i i cannot disagree <laughs> um but yeah um, so okay uh i know i know you had some production notes before i sort of stepped in with my off-track uh, comment. Sure.
1: Well, I just wanted to mention a couple things that um, mainly we have a, a new writer this episode. Um, and interesting in several ways. Um, she's uh, Australian, for one. She's not actually English or British, um, although she's now, it seems, based in the UK, like for her writing, you know, her, her career has moved her that way. Um, And so she's kind of, you know, from a slightly different background from some of the other writers, Um, new to Doctor Who. So, you know, interesting to have a first timer writing a really important episode, you know, like, this is normally, I think, the kind of episode you would have, like, if not the showrunner, at least like, a really experienced, you know, like, you know, death of the companion seems like something you don't necessarily usually give to the the newbie, um, which I think is interesting. And also um, the fact that she's a woman and that's a fairly rare thing in Doctor Who. Um, and she's the second female writer this season, but as I said, only the third of the new series overall. So, again, that kind of sets her apart. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned that her name is Sarah Dollard. Um, and I think given all those things, which kind of set her apart, she also really makes a distinguished, you know, uh, name for herself just in like the episode itself. Like, like we just said, like we got more in 30 seconds than, you know, some of the other episodes this season entirely. So I think she really kind of stands out. Um, and then, all right, so one other thing I want to throw in terms of like references one other thing I want to throw in the mix um, is uh, Edgar Allan Poe's Raven, um, sure. which
0: which, if, which was the obvious thing that I thought of first. Sure, but, yeah. sure,
1: and and I want to mention that up front with the production because even though um, this uh, the, I said Sleep No More was kind of the only standalone episode, and this has a cliffhanger ending, so you could kind of call it, you know pair it with the next one but in a way it's sort of a plot unto itself so if you want to look at it as like another standalone episode and i like how you know the one thing i do like about sleep no more is if you pair it with the raven face the raven they give a nice you know never more sleep no more kind of there's some sort of like poe echo there so the titles pair nicely at least sure um sure. and then that kind of got me thinking about the pose Raven a little bit more and everything. So, you know, maybe we can talk more about uh, what, you know, we noticed in terms of those sorts of references. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot going on in, like, the background and the intertextual stuff in this episode. Like, there's a lot of references and, you know, ideas sort of packed into it, so. um,
0: Yeah, no, I definitely... Get the feeling, and I mean, I don't want to discount the writing because I agree, like I feel like the writing is really strong in this um, yeah. but but also the other stuff is strong too, so you get um, the the production value of mm-hmm. you know like just um, all right so <laughs> i I'm throwing this way of course um, okay just what, one thing that struck me, particularly the second time watching it through. Is how much when Clara uh, faces the raven and yeah. is, you know, uh, killed, I guess, um, mm-hmm. how similar or w- the effect of it um, with the black shade stuff coming out of her mouth being similar to a regeneration, but like kind of in an opposite yeah. way. Um, obviously right. cuz like she's right. dying and whatever and just like just sort of like and i'm i'll be the first to say that like the sort of like cinematic moments are not like my biggest strong point i i tend to focus more on the dialogue and the um right you you, you know the right. the individual the more, acting like, literary but, aspects to of it yeah but yeah. not i i i tend to notice just the way i am i tend to notice less those sort of like yeah. visual cues and and linkages but that seemed like really strong to me and yeah and not strong in a like they're beating you over the head with it way but just like you can't miss it and yet it's entirely subtle and uh you know uh just well done so
1: yeah and that's true like it is it it is like it in some ways of that like it's sort of a death and there's the kind of like arms splayed kind of like bursting out of you thing but it's Black smoke instead of like golden light, you know, so it doesn't have the, you know, that, that, you know, bright gold renewal kind of thing that the, you know, that a regeneration has. It has like this, like, sooty black, you know, kind of scary looking smoke. So, yeah, reminiscent, but also kind of like the inversion of it, too. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, um so yeah which
1: i think sets us up not to to stop jumping ahead to clara but sets us up again for like the ways in which she's both like and unlike the doctor with the whole you know which is sort of you know comes to a head here of her kind of trying to be like him and the consequences of that um yeah so definitely, definitely. all
0: okay. right okay Uh, So let's go back to where we were going to originally start um, and talk about Rigsy a bit. Uh, I have to admit, I could not remember where he was from or even if we had seen him before. Okay. (laughs) Uh, The first time I watched it. Um, And then um, I actually had to look up his character and be like, Oh yes, of course the kid from the flatline uh, episode. Um, So, uh, and I, I mean, it's been a full season at least I think sure. since we saw that. So I mean, yeah. And
1: I don't think they reference it like, uh, too strongly. Like they don't, I don't think they call back other than him being there. It's not like they talk about what they did together.
0: Right. They don't talk about that. There is one sort of callback, um, which is, uh, the use of his nicknames. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, where he uh, so in this episode he tells the doctor uh, and this is good because actually i'm talking about this a little bit uh <laughs> you know he when the doctor tells him like hey dude you're gonna die uh rigsy is like uh no <laughs> please uh and, and specifically what he says is you, you know um, mm-hmm. and, oh and, and what the doctor does is he calls him by his name rigsy yeah. which of course the doctor doesn't call people by their names right mm-hmm. um and Rigsy says, no, 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 don't start using my actual name now. Call me Pudding Brain, call me Local Knowledge, whatever. Just don't call me Rigsy." Um, both of those being nicknames that the doctor had called him uh, previously mm-hmm. uh, in, in Flatline. Um, I wanted to talk about the Local Knowledge thing a little bit because this is something that I didn't really pick up on until my second watch, uh, which was just this morning. Um, there's actually a rather famous, uh, relatively famous, I should say, (laughs) uh, economic, uh, theory called the local knowledge problem. And, (laughs) um, it was put forward by, uh, Friedrich von Hayek in like 1940 something or other, um, uh, in an essay called the use of knowledge in society. And so. And, and it, and Hayek went on to win like Nobel prize and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, like this, this essay has been mm-hmm. deemed like one of the best economic essays in the 20th century and that kind of thing. So, it, you know, like a pretty, pretty big deal again, relatively mm-hmm. famous. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where like economists from like, even on like different sides of various issues tend to all agree like, yes, this thing is pretty, pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find it interesting because um even looking back at uh flatline, I went back and like kind of dug around the transcript to find where he originally calls him that and and basically I mean it's just sort of a throwaway almost um in in the episode, but he uses it um the the doctor uses it when he sort of recognizes that Riggsy might not actually be entirely useless. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, and he says to Clara, uh, do you know, I think you were wrong about this side. I think he could be, be very useful, vital local knowledge. Mm-hmm. And basically what the local knowledge problem states is that anytime where, where you have, uh, you know, it's economic. So it's talking in sort of economic terms. Anytime where you have uh, like people who need things, um, you're going to have uh, People who are sort of local to the problems, local, you know, uh, you know, they know what the people nearby have and don't have, you know, how they can pay and how much they can pay and all those kind of things. It's always going to be more accurate and you're going to have more knowledge about those issues than you would, say, from a centralized planner trying to, like, you know, order goods here, order goods there, and that kind of thing. And, and it's often used in sort of a defensive free market uh, economics and, and again, sort of socialistic or, or capitalistic central, or sorry, uh, communistic central planning and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I, what I thought was interesting was, um, and, and I feel like the doctor sort of implicitly acknowledged that is that in, in, sort of calling him, you know, saying,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, Rigby has this sort of vital local knowledge. Like he, he's thinking about things yeah. in a way that we don't, because we're not from here and we don't know right. what's going right. on and that kind of thing. Um, so I feel like in this episode though, what's interesting is that it's sort of inverted a bit, uh, Mm -hmm. because you get one, Rigsy gets his memory wiped. So Mm -hmm. he doesn't have the local knowledge, right? Like he's what the knowledge that he should have is, uh, you know, what he was doing last night and how this person who he's accused of killing came to be killed and all of that. But he doesn't know that because he's been retconned and uh, mm-hmm. um, all of that. Uh, and of course the doctor and Claire don't know because they weren't around. Right. They get called into it. Right. And so in a way, um, and I'm not like, I, I think this might be forcing it a little bit too much. I'm not saying we should only look at it this way, but like, I do feel like there's a way where you can look at this episode from that perspective of who has the local knowledge. And so you have people like a uh, shoulder who, you know, clearly sets up sort of this farce uh murder to Mm -hmm. lure the doctor in. And she knows what's going on, but the doctor and Clara don't, and they have to go around and find things out. And um then you have uh oh I forget the name of the Janice girl. Um
1: I don't know that she has a name, the daughter. I don't know that we ever get a name really.
0: Okay. Or if we do,
1: I didn't catch it. But Well anyway
0: so you have her and where where she has Another bit of knowledge, right? And you know, right. because she can look into people's past and sort of see what happened to them and their motivations and that kind of thing. And so, yeah. so really, it becomes sort of this uh, uh, episode where, little by little, you, you're sort of getting that you're you're sort of like teasing that knowledge out into the open. And so, um, yeah, you know, again, like I don't, I don't want to look at it purely from an economic perspective, but I, I thought it was interesting that. This is the name, like, uh, the doctor actually uses the name more often in this episode just by simple count than he did in, in Flatline. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, again, sort of the irony of Briggsie not actually knowing what's going on and sort of right, these right. other, these other people, um, being the ones who actually have the local knowledge, but aren't willing to share it and all, right. and, and, sort of the consequences of that, right? Like the whole idea of, uh, information wants to be free and that sort mm-hmm. of thing, um, one last tidbit I actually just learned today as well. Uh, the the founder of Wikipedia uh, actually got the idea for Wikipedia from that Hayek essay on local knowledge. And so, like, mm. basically, I mean, you know, there's other stuff that goes into it from a sort of computing and whatever standpoint. But the whole idea of, you know, people who have specific knowledge of a particular topic or of their local yeah. area are going to yeah. be better, you know, in the long run than than you know, a so-called expert maybe who is an expert but only in name and not necessarily, you know, doesn't necessarily right. have the same uh, in-depth knowledge that, like, someone who's more local or more in tune with that topic would be. Right,
1: right. Um, Interesting.
0: So, anyway, uh, yeah. Rigsby. Rigs Riggsy, Not Rigsby. Uh Yeah. So sort of alluded to a little bit, I wanted to talk about his situation because we have, um, you know, after we get sort of the opening with Clara and the Doctor on, you know, another one of their sort of nameless missions where things apparently went bad, but they survived again. And the Doctor sort of makes a comment about never being able to go back there again. And, you know, that kind of thing. Um, You get this call from some guy. Like, again, I had no idea who he was the first. Like, I went through that whole first Time watching this episode, like, where was Like, should I know more about him? Well, yes, you should. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, he gets the call, and, 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 you know, it's, it's all sort of, you know, the setup of, okay, I've got this tattoo, but it's like counting down, and I don't remember what I did last night, even though my girlfriend, wife, I'm not sure, uh, you know, said I was out all night, and yeah. You Know nobody saw me at work, and like this definitely sounds like a setup for you know what it actually becomes is sort of a murder mystery, um, right, right? You know, you, you could almost see that uh Sherlockian kind of uh mm-hmm. you know setup, like you know, oh okay, there's a all the windows were closed and there's a puddle on the floor, what happened, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, the, and
1: and with the added added uh ticking clock, so right, you know, you right. have not only do you have a mystery to solve, but if you don't solve it in the next however many hours, you know, the person dies like that's, I think they've even used that in Sherlock, you know, of like, right. You know, you have so many minutes, you know, and if you don't solve this mystery, I kill this person. That kind of thing. And,
0: and I mean, that's a pretty common, whether it's the individual themselves or like, you know, right. Maybe they're holding someone hostage and that person will die or whatever. Like, I mean, that's a, relatively common uh sort of device but but that's that's the setup right is um
1: yeah
0: you know ringsy sort of coming in not knowing what the heck's going on calls the doctor Mm -hmm. um and so you get uh you get them investigating stuff and they kind of you know they do the sort of hocus pocus oh let's look at your cell phone and figure out everything we need to know from there and you know uh the idea of like the trap street where you know there's mm-hmm. a hidden street, uh, sort sort of like hidden in plain view kind of thing, and and you know, ultimately get to this sort of Nigon Alley esque uh, road where you have um, or you know street where you have these this sort of refuge for aliens. Um, one of the things, and I, I, I sorry, but. Well,
1: really quickly, I want to point out too, like, again, with the kind of density of the writing and everything, the way that the, on kind of rewatch, how it rewards, you know, um, you know, that kind of like multiple viewing of, uh, you know, things like the fact that it's a very, you know, standard, you know, mystery setup, almost a cliche one, kind of points to the fact that it's a setup, you know, that it's, Sure. You know, and, and even like the trap street. Well, okay, so there's the business about it's it's a trap for cartographers who are gonna copy your maps, but it's a trap for the doctor too. That sure. you know, a right. shielder uses this street as a trap. So there's all those little kind of when you go back and rewatch it, those little things sprinkled in that, you know, um, you know, you don't necessarily notice uh on the first time
0: yeah no definitely and and yeah like it there definitely is those uh you know there are those clues sort of as you're going through it um so i the thing is like it's sort of thinking about rigsy um and of course they get to the hidden street and they're trying to figure out you know the the We'll talk about a shoulder in a minute, but like, you know, after yeah. after like there's sort of her introduction and we figure out that like she's got something going on there. Um like Rigsy is just kind of the lure, right? Like he becomes mm-hmm. he sort of takes a back seat. Um certainly once Clara takes the the tattoo from him. Like he Yeah, you know, and and I mean not saying that that's like Sort of a bad thing. I do kind of wish like he had had a little bit more to do maybe, but um, sure, sure. Is, he, he they just sort of like, okay, he's he's the uh impetus to get the Doctor and Clara there. Intentionally, right. like that's the Shoulder's yeah, plan yeah. is to use him to lure them uh in. Um But I don't know that I have a whole lot more to say about him after that, I guess, is what I'm sort of getting to. So I don't know what other thoughts you might have on Ringsy before we kind of move on.
1: Sure. No, I think that's true. Like, he is kind of like, a, I guess, a plot device. Um, And I, you know, after some episodes this season where Clara had less to do, I'm glad that she kind of gets to be the lead in this one rather than it like, you know, uh... Going too much to like the supporting characters, but you know, it's true that you know, that doesn't necessarily make for like you know, Rigsy having the most interesting role. Um, but I mean, yeah, I don't know that there's a whole lot more like in terms of him, I like, I think he's played well, and I think like you get the continuation of that relationship that he had with Clara in the last episode or in Flatline, so. Um, you know, I feel like it's nice to have a character that they do have that connection because you believe it a little bit more when she talks him into giving her the shade and, um, you know, and there's the, the kind of little tag at the end of him spray painting the memorial to her and everything. There's just those little like character things. Um, but in terms of the plot, yeah, he's kind of just along for the ride and saying like, Literally, doctor, fix it, save me, you know, do what you do. And, you know, um, he's definitely taking a back seat to the doctor and Clara, I think.
0: Sure. And I think I
1: guess one more thing is I think the detail of that he has this um, newborn baby at home also kind of helps to sell him going along with this kind of risky plan of Clara's, you know, that. She can kind of, you know, appeal to that. Oh, you don't want to jeopardize your your baby girl. What if she can't grow up alone? You know, like she hits the right buttons to, you know, um, so that it he I don't think he comes off like like a coward or like, you know, too, you know, um, I don't know, too sort of weak or something. Like I think I think it's written well enough that you kind of understand why this seems like a clever idea that isn't going to get them in trouble. So, anyway, beyond that, I don't know that we need to dwell on his character too much.
0: Sure. Sure. Um, So let's talk about a show there. Well, let's talk about the alley still a little bit. Because we're never really – like, we know that it's a refuge of sorts. Mm -hmm. But we're never really told like how it came to be or how, you know, what's the purpose of it, other than as a refuge. But like, was there a specific event that was set up? Was it, uh, you know, Shulder talks about like it being better than um, having all of the uh, uh, Zygons, you know, out out and about. Uh, Which may be true, although like they're hidden too. So like is that right. actually true? Um, of course, they. That's sort of like an innate ability. So this is like a technological, kind of technological, uh, yeah. you know, equivalent to that. Um, uh, we apparently. I mean, apparently it's been over a hundred years. What did she say? Like in the eighteen hundreds, since the Waterloo Station has been, uh-huh. you know, around or whatever. Whenever that was created, I don't know. Um, yeah yeah but like we talk- you know there there's mention of like there hasn't been you know violence in like a hundred years or something, yeah so yeah. Um, you know certainly older than that and uh uh it seems to be sort of it it almost actually uh almost in a way like caritas you know where it's like right, uh, sure. the host the host allows pretty much anyone to come in as long as there's no you know sort of check your weapons at the door and, yep. and don't let yep. any violence happen within the uh, sanctuary there, but
1: um, right. Even, and you see like underneath all the like perception filters, there's the, um, you know, it's some pretty, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the aliens are among the more dangerous. Like it's, you know, it's Cybermen and centarans and, yep. you know, um it's not all the, like, it's not exactly the cuddly ones. So you kind of, feel like these rules must be strictly enforced because otherwise it would just be chaos and, you know, all the time. Um, But, uh, which I guess, you know, helps to explain why they're so uh, determined to not let it be one of them that gets blamed for this. You know, it has to be some some outsider that we can pin it on because, you know, if we start fighting amongst ourselves, the whole thing is just going to go down. You know, pretty quickly, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, I mean, that's the fear, right? Is if there's a loss in sort of the faith of a shoulder to hold everything together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget the guy's name. The the sort of, you know, what whoever the guard is that they're talking to, uh, that the doctor's talking to, sort right. of says that, like, you know. It would basically be mass chaos, uh, yeah, yeah, um, so yeah, so, um, and it seems to be that this was a deliberate thing created by a shelter Wait, who is human, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. we we know, like, okay, she's uh got a techn- technologically extended lifespan as a human, right. but she's still human, like, she's not an alien in and of herself, yeah, but. Apparently, uh, you know, knows about, I I mean, like we knew before because we've seen her in previous episodes, you know, interact with aliens. So it's not like this is her introduction to, you know, alien life or anything. But uh, the fact that, like, I find it interesting because in a way, uh, the last episode we saw her in, um, where she was helping sort of the lion thing there uh Mm -hmm. you know uh like she was thinking about it from you know that she yes it helps her too to like get off the planet and go explore or whatever but her whole thing was not so much that uh you know she was trying to do anything bad but that she was trying to help this you know alien do something Mm -hmm. that you know to save itself or whatever Turns out the alien was lying to her, and blah blah blah. But like, like yeah. I feel like there's even even though she sort of has poor execution, maybe, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like her motives all seem to be proper, right? Uh, so, and I think that holds true here. Like we get uh, again the Janice daughter, uh, mm-hmm. sort of uh, indicating that whatever it is the shoulder's doing she thinks she's doing the right thing so it's yeah. you know and, and the doctors sort of cynical they always you know they always sure. do um right. which which is you know granted <laughs>
1: yeah. uh you know i mean that's
0: true of humans as well like we get yeah, the, yeah. we you know we get all the stuff with unit and you know yeah, uh, yeah. uh 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 uh, what's her name? The the Kate. prime minister. Well, no, even even before that. Uh, oh,
1: Harriet Jones. Yes,
0: Harriet Jones. Thank you. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Has <laughs> it been that long that I forgot? The <laughs> um, yeah, Harriet Jones. You know, first MP, I and forget, then yeah. and, that, and then PM. Uh, and so yeah, you get you know you get all the stuff in the and Torchwood and you know all of that. So, um,
1: yeah, I, I kind of want I I always wonder on that line. Who does he mean by they? You know, they usually yeah. do. Does he mean humans? Like, oh, these misguided humans who think they do the right thing, but then they make stupid choices. Maybe he means villains. Like, is he lumping a shielder in with the bad guys who think they're righteous when really they're the bad guys? I don't necessarily know the answer, but um, yeah, I, it's kind of a curious little pronoun.
0: I sort of was thinking the, the latter. Uh, uh, and not even... I don't know that I would phrase it as bad guys, although like I you know, I think if we have to point to a villain in this episode, it is a shoulder, But again, like I don't know that she quite fits the mold of sure. villain. You know what I mean? So yeah. like I think yeah. I think he would I think he means, you know, like maybe leaders, you know, who mm-hmm. sort of overstep their bounds. Like mm-hmm. Harriet Jones, like
1: right.
0: Kate, like you know, uh, a shoulder here um, who sort of overstep their bounds and make exceptions that are not okay exceptions, um, you know, and and sort of go above and beyond what, you know, they put people at risk in the name of sort of protecting them and, uh, you know, all of that. So, uh, or you know, put other people at risk to protect one particular group versus Mm -hmm. trying to look out for all the varied interests and that sort of thing. Um, right. That's what I tend to think when he's saying sure. that, but, um, I, I, you know, it's vague, and I think purposefully so. <laughs> so yeah. I, I certainly understand that there's other interpretations there. Um, and, you know, once again, we get her, which I find interesting that she doesn't remember her original name again. Like, because it's been a much shorter time. Uh, sure. You know, amount of time. And she's seen the doctor, knows who the doctor is. She knows who Clara is. Like, and she knows that she's met Clara before. Well, if you know that you've met Clara, you should remember how you met her and, like, what your name was when you met her. Like, I feel I, like... I
1: wonder I wonder if she's giving the doctor a little bit of a hard time there. You know, with the, like, you know, that's your name. Well, if you say so. Like, you know, I will only accept it because you keep insisting. You know, but I don't have to like it, kind of a thing. Um, I don't know, but possibly. Um, possibly. possibly. I mean, I don't.
0: I don't have any uh, counter argument to that. Um, other than that's, I took it as sort of like she really didn't remember again. But that's sure. just me. Um, although, you know, and then again, you get. Like, she's seen Clara's picture because uh, she references, oh, you look like your pictures. And we we know that, like, she intentionally stood in the background of Clara's selfie to, like, mm-hmm. give the doctor a clue as to, like, where she was and all of that. So, like, yeah. you know, again, like, I don't know, maybe that supports your point of, like, maybe she's being a little disingenuous and, like, maybe she mm-hmm. doesn't actually forget all of that Um, as much as she sort of lets on. Uh, Right, right. So, here's the shoulder, or uh, as she calls herself, Mayor B. (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, mayor of this trap street slash, you know, refuge uh, for aliens. Um, And she wants to get the doctor there. Uh, so, I mean, we could sort of jump to the end, I think, the plot point of why she wants the doctor there. So apparently she's trying to trap him. Uh, it, it, basically, it's an elaborate scheme to get a time travel bracelet on his wrist. Or a transportation bracelet. I guess we don't know. It's, it may not be time travel. It might just be through space. Um, right and, and
1: the and the key off of him, so that he can't you know have access to um the tardis as well,
0: yes, and his confession dial right uh none of which like we don't know why uh, no any of these things are her well, we know why her we know what her motivation are, is is that if she does these things that um. Whoever is behind it will leave uh, the hidden street alone. Mm -hmm. Um, But we don't know who they are, and we don't know their motivation. Um, Yeah. I mean, I guess we can assume that it's not a good motivation, at least from our perspective and the doctor's perspective. uh, That that it seems to be... uh, I mean, you know they're taking away the TARDIS they're taking away his confession dial, they're taking him to some place where he doesn't know where he's going and doesn't have control over the situation, so all of these things sort of point yeah. to
1: bad uh, things yeah yeah
0: not not a good situation for the doctor um,
1: yeah yeah so yeah and and certainly for lady or may or me, and even if uh you know there was good motivation um you know on her part or the of the part of this mysterious group of people um you know even if there was good motivation you still get that sense of like well it certainly went wrong you know like this whole yeah you know at least what what may have good been good motivations and what may have been a foolproof you know nobody gets hurt kind of plan it Went awry. Um, this yeah. isn't how it was, you know, supposed to go,
0: yes, but you get the sense that that's the case only because Ishilda herself loses control, right? Sure. She, yeah, like the whole point being that, like, nobody actually died and she didn't want anyone to die,
1: right?
0: Until she finds out that Clara took, you know, the tattoo or whatever, you know, whatever they call the mark there,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, yeah from Riggsy and put it on herself. And then sort of her playing goes to pop because
1: yeah.
0: now someone's going to die. Legitimately going to mm-hmm. die. Um, you also get the sense that so I don't know. I. They sort of just skirted the edge of what I see as, as sort of like the whole contract with the quantum shade and and all of Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Like it's, it's hard to understand how that contract gets broken just because it gets transferred from one person to another. Um, Like you would think that she would still be sort of in control of that situation. But the fact that she can't remove, uh, you know, the, the, time the the mm-hmm. chronological uh countdown or whatever um from clara like that seems to me um, well it sucks for one thing obviously but like it 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 seems to me like this should this kit have been something that came up just once in the you know whatever hundred plus years that she's been doing this so mm-hmm. like Earlier we see her refuse to uh take the um you know take remove the the what is that called the end the the chrono something or other the uh
1: chrono lock
0: chrono lock uh so like we you know we see her refuse to take the chrono lock off the guy who apparently stole medicine for his you know sickly mm-hmm. wife or whatever um so, like, you know, we already know that she sort of has a firm hand and, you know, is, is kind of a, a
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, well, she's a dictator. I mean, she's, you know, quite blank. She's an authoritarian, yeah. you know. Um, she has her reasons or her rationalizations and her justifications. But, you sure, know, when sure. it boils down to it. Right. Blank, but it's, she's it's,
1: sentencing it's, people and she's judge yeah. jury and executioner. Yeah. 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 And. and and,
0: like, for extreme circumstances. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, you stole some medicine, so you die? Like, that seems a little strange and off-putting. Right, uh, right. Y- you know, especially given how long she's been around. Like, you feel like you could either go one of two ways. Uh, like, she's older than anyone else and therefore wiser and has more experience. Or she sets herself above everyone else and you know, sort of plays God, which is what she's right. kind of doing.
1: Yeah, um, yeah.
0: And you can compare that or not to the doctor, however you will. Um sure. but you know, but she seems to yeah, she definitely seems to be leaning toward that latter, <laughs> you know, version uh, you know, of being a dictator who, you know, again, like she has her justifications that, you know, if people don't sort of obey me and, you know, I run a tight ship, then, you know, Mm -hmm. this is bad for everyone. And so, you know, it's okay to kill one or two people here and there rather than, you know, risk everybody being found out and potentially killed. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of that said, uh, you know, again, like, it doesn't seem to be like the situation of the transfer having been uh, like, it seems within the hundred or so whatever years, like there's someone else who maybe would have been pardoned, but this transfer occurred, uh, you know, so that they weren't able to, it seems like at that point a shoulder would say, you know what, let's, let's change the rules a little bit. Let, let, let's renegotiate this contract. um, Mm. So that like, I can't take it off of whomever. Uh, I don't know. Uh, see,
1: it, see, and I get the idea that could she even do that? Is that even within her power? Like, I I get the impression that the Quantum Shade is the one with the real power here. and And probably, you know, I mean, I'm extrapolating, but you know, older or, you know, more in control than she is. So I think, like you said, she is kind of a little dictator, but I think maybe fancies herself a little more in control than she actually is. And, you know, um, if she could give herself absolute power over the quantum shade, I believe she would. So that kind of makes me question whether that's even within her power to change the rules. Um, she could maybe explain the rules better than she, you know, than she did. Um, But I kind of, if we're sticking with the the Raven as metaphor for death, then I have a hard time seeing anybody negotiating anything with the Raven. Um, Like it has its rules and it'll do what it is, you know, sets out to do. Um, Seems to me the whole idea between the like, you can run away from it, you can pass it, but you can't cheat it. It's all that kind of like, this is like a law of the universe type thing. Um, yeah. So, so that's kind of my reading of it, is that she, she fancies herself more powerful than, uh, than she really is.
0: Except that she seems legitimately ready to remove the lock from local knowledge.
1: Sure. But, and I think, again, I'm, you know, maybe head canoning it, but like, I think the Raven, I think there are certain things that are within her power because she's allowed to have that certain power. Like, you know, like, she can manipulate things within whatever her sphere is, but outside that circle, she's not in control anymore. So you know we have a basic understanding but if 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 the rules get broken then all bets are off and she's no longer you know i think she is legitimately i think that is she her plan is to you know when the time is right remove it before rigsy gets hurt i agree with you that like she has no intention of killing anybody um you know and that's where it goes wrong is you know it it When they start messing with the rules, they take the control away from her to be able to, you know, fix the situation, I guess. Sure. Um, Yeah, no, I mean... And I don't think, like, the Raven cares about any contracts with whoever this mysterious group of people are, or, you know, not, you know, pissing off the doctor. Like, all these, like, political relationships that a Shielder has that she's trying to negotiate... I think the raven is more like the force of nature uh, is that like, it's going to do what it's going to do. And it doesn't care how it affects, you know, everybody's sort of, you know, relationship to everybody else. Um, So things go just as bad for a shielder as they do for every, like she's getting screwed over, you know, it's not just that things go wrong and people die, but they go wrong for her too, because now you know, she got someone killed and, you know, and the doctor is, you know, she's on his bad side. So. Yeah.
0: No, I I agree that that seems to be the way that things play out here. I guess I, maybe I'm being a little too subjunctive about it. I, I'm just saying it seems to be that in a situation where you've been there for over 200 years or whatever it is, that would have come up and like you should be prepared for that idea so like let's well, sure. Let's let's uh right, whatever. Like I's like I said maybe that's all a, a a what if. Um Okay. So I you know, I still I still wish we knew a bit more about the actual street like the refuge and like what her actual motivations there are. You know, is this like, you know I think we can trust that the Janice daughter is right uh and in saying like she believes what she's doing is good. So mm-hmm. that what a shoulder is doing she mm-hmm. believes is good. Uh, so like it seems to be like a legit thing, but this all this is also one of those things of you know, like the zygons in disguise. Like is this potentially an army like you know just because you come in seeking refuge does that mean you're not a plant somehow or Mm -hmm. you know uh uh whatever i don't don't know like i I feel like there's a whole potentiality there that sort of doesn't get explored and you know that's sure and that
1: could be fodder for future episodes you know um you know i could see this being a you know a in some future season, you know, revisit the idea of Trap Street and, you know, it's history or what goes on there or anything. Um, yeah, it's like, it's like a whole, it's a whole other world that is only there just for like, you know, the the situation set up, but then actually like, doesn't end up really, uh, mattering all that much in the end. Um, to the plot and I don't think that's necessarily like a bad thing um because I feel like a lot of it is misdirecting you away from where it ends up going with like Clara like like thinking you're going to be in a really like plot heavy kind of episode and then it turns into like the big character drama um so Sure. I don't mind that it does that, but I feel like you're right. Like it could come back to it later and give us like more, like there's obviously a lot more room for exploration there. Um, yeah. And I don't know, like until we know more, it's kind of hard to say how noble a Shielder's motives are, Um. you know?
0: Yep. Yep. All right. Um, so last 10 minutes or so, <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about Clara. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Um, Clara's throughout, obviously, but sort of the, the moments that sort of stick in my mind are, again, her bursting into the TARDIS sort of at the beginning, mm-hmm. all exuberant and what not. Um, her hanging out of the TARDIS door as they're mm-hmm. like photographing London, uh, and trying to figure out where this you know place, its London, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, trying to figure out where this trap street is. Uh, and sort of again like squealing with laughter, and you know, at the fact that she almost falls out and all of this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and. And sort of the commentary between the doctor and Rigsy about her being a little too, uh, her enjoying that a little too much. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and the doctor's comment of, like, that seems to be happening a lot. Like, so this, this is, I don't know if that's exactly what he says, but, you know, right, like, right. like the idea that, like, this certainly isn't the first time where she sort of, like, laughed in the face of danger kind of thing. Right, um, right. And then, like, you know, so she she has her sort of usual aplomb of going with the doctor and talking to Riggsy and, you know, trying to figure out all this stuff. And they find, you know, the trap street and they go in and they're looking around and investigating. But when she has her idea, what I find interesting is that I don't know, like maybe it's happened before, but a a specific instance isn't coming to mind. Where Mm -hmm. where this idea that she has to take over the chronolog from Riggsy, like she doesn't even talk to the doctor about it. Like she doesn't Mm. even present it as like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Or yeah or even not asking what do you think, but hey, here's what I'm gonna do. Like I feel like like if there's a change in her attitude, this episode versus previous episodes, that might be it. Now, there have been to- – I mean, she certainly had to make decisions on her own. And even thinking back right. to, like, Flatline, like, you know, where, where right, we sort of – Right, she's on her
1: own. Yeah, yeah.
0: Where we sort of get her – but, like, even there you have, like, the Doctor kind of speaking to her, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, through whatever. Um so, like, I feel like this is, again, I may just be forgetting something obvious, but this is the first time that sticks out in memory anyway, where she really, uh, you know, really just goes off and does something pretty, not just dangerous, but reckless on mm-hmm. her own. Like, not, like, this is a countdown to death. We already know this by this point. Like, it's not right. like you could say, like, oh, I just thought it was a countdown to falling asleep or something like like you know that you're gonna die when this happens like now granted she thinks that she'll be able to get out of it because she's under a shoulder's protection and Mm -hmm. the doctor would sort of force a shoulder's hand if it comes down to that but that's still something like putting if anything it's the needless putting of your own life in danger Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to be sort of what the recklessness aspect of this is. Uh, sort of reminds me just even going back to like, you know, my old, uh, uh, first responders training when I was, um, you know, a lifeguard and waterfront director at, at the camps that I used to work at. And, you know, you'd have to go through all the different, you know, things of, you know, various situations that you could potentially find yourself in. And, and the first rule is always... Don't put yourself in danger. If you put yourself in danger, you can't help the other person. No matter yeah. how much in danger they are, if putting yourself in that same danger uh, hurts you, then now now you have two people. And the, right. Now there's the, two people uh, that need to be yeah, rescued. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and now the next people who come along are going to have to deal I'm not just with job, the original yeah. injury, yeah. but you as well. And so, you know, I feel like it's that recklessness that... that uh, mm-hmm that Clara sort of has in, in concocting this plan and just jumping into it and sort of, and, and maybe it's a, uh, maybe she's just sort of absorbed the ego of the doctor and, and, mm-hmm. you know, thinking that she actually is a time Lord herself or whatever. And, uh, but I don't, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I sort of, I, I guess I want to point that out. Like that seems to be, like, Claire has her flaws this seems like if we're going to talk about you know the character flaw of her like mm-hmm. this seems to be it and it, it seems to be something that's been um, and, and maybe you know like we should give props because it's been well done like we're talking mm-hmm. again you know going back to Flatline where she was sort of first exhibiting these Doctor-ish yes. ideas you know it's sort of appropriate that now it comes to fruition here and that fruition is not a good fruit. Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah, uh, no,
1: I feel like if if the kind of season eight led up to her, like, embracing the doctor's kind of uh, doctorish lying kind of uh, side, this is kind of the, the logical conclusion of the doctor's, like you said, recklessness side, which normally for the doctor is fine because when he gets killed he comes back you know um but like he says it doesn't work that way for her that you know um and actually i think my favorite line is her the and especially the way jenna coleman says it like you know with kind of jealousy is like why shouldn't i be reckless you're reckless all the bloody time why can't i be like you that kind of like (sighs) you know well I've seen, I've seen you do it and get away with it, you know, and almost like whining, why are the rules different for me? Um, and that's sort of what she's seems that she's going for. And her cleverness kind of gets the better of her here that like, like, yeah, what she does is dangerous and reckless and needlessly putting herself in danger. But you can also kind of see like that, you know, very, uh, obsessive attention to detail in it too because like you said she's probably got all these safeguards in her mind of well we're going to beat the time you know the countdown and if we don't a shielder will lift it and if she doesn't want to lift it the doctor will make her like she has all these there's all these kind of backup plans in place so that there's no way this can go wrong you know um because i i have it like the doctor, I haven't figured out like three moves ahead of you know what I'm gonna do in any case, um, you know. Yeah.
0: But. And, and and also the sort of swearing Riggsy to secrecy and saying part of that yeah. is is not telling anyone your plan, which right. okay, yes, the doctor does do that, but again, right. he's the doctor, and as he right. says, right. he's less breakable than she is. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's. That's the key, is that he can recover from a lot more than she yeah. can. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, right, and
1: it's hard to even say, like, yeah, she makes a mistake, but it's not even that you can really fault her for it, because the doctor makes mistakes all the time. It's just that, like you said, he recovers from he can recover from them better. So it's not even a case of oh, you did something stupid that the doctor would never do. Like, no, this is exactly what the doctor would do is, you know, give me your life, you know, threatening condition and I'll take it on. Like, that's exactly the kind of thing that the doctor does do. Um, yeah. It's just that, you know, he has all these other, you know, he has the ultimate backup plan, you know, of regeneration to sort of, escape it if it ever comes to you know if it ever comes to that so um because it's it's a little tough with Clara but I kind of back to that I forget recently we were talking about like the victim blaming thing of you know I don't want to victim blame Clara in the sense of well she asked for it and she deserved what she got but there is a sense in which you know this is directly sort of you know, what happens to her is directly related to the choices that she makes. And, um, and that's true, I think, um, you know, but then I also like that when they do kind of realize there isn't a way out, she owns it, you know, like she kind of deliberately says, you know, this was, you know my choice not that she wanted it to happen but she recognizes that you know these were decisions that i made it's not you know anybody else's fault she sort of you know embraces that i think um and is even a little bit like proud of it you know (laughs) like you know the kind of thing of living up to danny that she can she can die proudly, like he did, and self sacrificially and um you know, and even kind of hinting at like a little something of the death wish about it too, which is also very doctorish of like mm-hmm. you know she says like this is why I kept running, this is why I, I made all the those stupid uh taking all those stupid risks mm-hmm. um that sounds a lot like the doctor too, I think, mm-hmm. um.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, when she realizes that she's made a huge mistake, yeah, uh, when it sort of sets in, um, two things happen. Mm -hmm. Um, one is that she sort of forces the doctor's hand again um, to uh, to not uh, take any sort of action after she's gone. Um, Mm. Which, of course, she doesn't have any way of enforcing, except that she says, I'm ordering you, right? Like, I'm... uh, And there's sort of hints going back there to between uh, the doctor and Danny, right? With the Mm. whole you know, soldier thing. Right, right. Um, Claire is sort of ordering him here, you know, as one would order a soldier to not take any uh, actions to sort of uh, uh, avenge her or anything. Um, uh, And then she doesn't run, right? She ends up going out, um, even though... Uh, uh, well, the doctor tells her, don't run, which is the opposite of what the doctor usually says, right? Mm. Uh, Stay with me. And then she says, nah, you stay here. In the end, everyone does this alone, which we talked about earlier. But um, she goes out, and, and she ends up not running, though. She just sort of doesn't do it in where the doctor is, right? It's, mm-hmm. she goes out into the street whatever. Um, so, I, you know, I mean, she does face the Raven. Uh, mm-hmm. To her credit, I guess, in that respect, not discounting the fact that, like, she shouldn't have been as reckless as she was, but at sure, least sure. she sort of faces up to it. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and so we get the you know the lasting effect then of her sort of um well actually sorry she says two things to the doctor right she says one don't uh don't let this change you um and she tells him to be a doctor and to heal himself right from sort of the the uh, almost biblical reference there right a physician heal thyself mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and uh not to be a warrior and then you know as part of that don't don't allow this her death to uh uh to cause him to to take vengeance Um mm-hmm. and we don't know the uh whether he will heal himself um but at least we see that in the immediate term uh he doesn't you know sort of turn his rage against a shilder. So it seems like her injunction worked. <laughs> um
1: sure, sure. You know,
0: at least at least for now. Um we don't know what'll happen in the next episode or two, but or, right. or, or at least I don't know. Um but yeah
1: and um I like that line uh is this before she tells him I think not to uh, to take revenge when um, you know when a shielder's sort of saying you know I know the doctor he would never and he says "Uh, the doctor's not here you're stuck with me <laughs> it's like oh yeah. and like we're in the we're dropping the name doctor you know is this like the war doctor coming out or some kind of older more primal this is like whatever the kind of vengeful essence of the doctor is, you know, because again, so much has been made about the, the name being this promise and this symbol of what he, you know, stands for. And in that moment, he sort of casts it aside very deliberately, you know, yeah. you're, the doctor's not here. You're stuck with me, whoever that is. And, and the flipping of the word me. So me is now him, not her, sure. you know, there's sure. that kind of, Throwing her own pronoun back at her kind of thing. Um,
0: yeah. And he, well, and he says, I will end you and everything you love. Um, which is hard to know what she loves at this point, shoulder. But, uh, yeah. but that, I mean, that's got to be what Claire is talking about, right? Because that's when she yeah. sort of intervenes. and says, Yeah. Yeah. I
1: think that's before she does enter. Right. So that's her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Right. She's, she says, this is my fault not a shoulder's. I mean, it kind of is a shoulder's fault too, but like is saying, I'm the one who went this extra step and did this reckless thing. And that's what she seems to be sort of chiding him, you know, not to do. Uh, Yeah. You know, she's saying don't end her, don't end everything she loves. This is my fault, not hers. Um,
1: Right. And, and calling back, I think her, her role in Day of the Doctor, you know, when she was kind of, you know, like I think we said at the time, like she's kind of the hero of Day of the Doctor and and her, her thing of telling him, you know, when he says, I don't know what to do and she says, be a doctor, that being her message to him is, you know, you know, cast aside the warrior and be the healer. Um, you know, so kind of invoking that here like that's her kind of that's what she wants to be and it's about her too like she says you won't like insult my memory by doing this so there's memory again but um you know she doesn't want her legacy to be you know this you know dead companion who you know incited this terrible you know reign of destruction you know she wants to be The one who, you know, brings out the, you know, the better in him and the doctorishness rather than, you know, the warrior.
0: Well, and it's, you know, it's not quite the same as, uh, you know, telling him to go find someone. Like, you know, she doesn't quite say don't be alone, but she does Mm -hmm. sort of acknowledge that he will be alone. And Mm -hmm. so, like, he needs to watch out for himself. He needs to take Mm -hmm. care of himself. So similar, though not quite the same, uh, you know, sort of exhortations as, as he's gotten in the past. When, when you know, I mean, obviously there have been companions where you don't know that they're going. And so you can't sort of prepare, but like in the, you know, minute or so that Clara has here to uh, sort of give him some last minute advice. And, and I guess, you know, I, and I don't know. I mean, how many times has Clara died? Like, we might see her again, we might not. I I I honestly don't know. Like, I know towards the end of season nine, people were aghast at something that happened to Clara. Maybe this is it. But I don't I don't
1: sure.
0: I can't say for sure. And so like I don't know if we'll see her again or not. But I do feel like um, in that moment, in that last minute or so, you do get sort of the return of her being the doctor's conscience, right? Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. being being the heart uh, of the two and, and you know, or at least pointing to him the way, you know, to which he can regain his own conscience, um, right. you know, which is to heal yourself. Don't let this change you. Don't become a monster. Um, and don't yeah. insult my memory. Like, I, th- I feel like that's a part of it too. And we're and actually yeah. talking about memory, you know, before. Yeah. If, if we're talking about, especially if we're talking about sort of, you know, one of Odin's ravens being memory, like Mm -hmm. this is, this is sort of, you know, that thing, Uh, you know, uh, Shildur several times now has, you know, pointed out that she has a mortal memory, even though she has sort of immortal life. And so Mm -hmm. uh, she's not able to remember all this stuff, but the doctor can. And so like, you know, if if you were to change, Claire is basically telling him this would be an insult, not just, you know, to me, but to my memory, to everything that you remember that I am. And that's, you know, about who I am. Like, yeah, yeah, this that would not be good.
1: Right. It it His actions reflect on her one way or the other, you know, how he reacts, you know, um you know, intentionally or not. It doesn't say something about her necessarily, but it impacts her memory and her legacy, I think. Um, Yeah, and and some other people, not me, but I think this is a good idea, kind of pointed out this as like kind of, um, you know, a kind of refutation of the idea of like fridging Um, you know, because it can be tough, uh, I don't want to, I certainly don't think it's always wrong to kill female characters, but there is this kind of persistent thing where the female character can get killed in order to motivate the male character to, like, bloody revenge, (laughs) like, sure, um, you know, um,
0: or, actually, it, or it, something it, bad happens to her, even if she's not killed. Like, or, Yeah, yeah. yeah, like, yeah
1: she, or like, you know, we just saw, I actually, I think we both kind of like this movie, but we both just saw The Revenant recently. And this sorry. isn't a spoiler because it, it starts this way, but the whole thing is about, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio revenging all the people he loves that get, you know, that have been killed in his life. And, you know, and it's the woman and she's dead for the whole thing. Um, right. And that tends to be, you know, the way that the gender roles play out at times. Um, so there's this kind of her saying, you're not going to fridge me. You know, like, it, my role isn't to be the the dead character who you kind of, you know, uh, go and, you know, uh, I don't know, seek vengeance on the world because of me. that this is actually and i think it it keeps it about her like that's the focus on it's it for better or worse these were her decisions and her choices and they happened because of her good qualities and her bad qualities and it's about you know it doesn't all have to be about motivating the doctor all the time um and that's right. not to say that he won't he, that he shouldn't be motivated by this or that he certainly you know, he certainly will be motivated by this one way or the other. But, you know, I think, you know, giving Clara the space to, you know, kind of go out, uh, send the character out in a way that it is, the focus is kept on her and not just as, you know, the dead companion. Um, Sure. You know, I think there's something to kind of keep in mind um and that actually brings me back to my other my other poe thing because when i was thinking about poe and the raven i was reminded of um something i read a while ago in school like when you know when reading uh the raven in school in um in an essay about the writing of the raven called the philosophy of composition poe talks about uh The concept of the raven, he says, is a bird of ill omen, you know, repeating the word nevermore, um, blah, blah, blah. So he has this character who's, you know, uh, very melancholy. So he's trying to figure out why is he melancholy. And he says, uh, of all melancholy topics, what, according to the universal understanding of mankind, is the most melancholy? Death was the obvious reply. And when, I said, is this melancholy of topics most poetical? And then his conclusion is that it's when it is closely allied to beauty. So the beautiful women dying is, (laughs) (laughs) he concludes, is the most poetic of topics, which, you know, I think has some kind of, you know, what now we would see as like problematic fridging, you know, implications. But on the other hand, I think what he's getting at is, you know, this that death is the most universal and melancholy of things and the death of a loved, of a beloved, you know? Um, so, you know, putting Clara's, you know, death in this episode, that's all about a raven is kind of fitting, I think. Sure. Um, yeah. And like you said, I mean, obviously I'll, I won't spoil whether or not we see her again or if we did in what form or whatever. But I think part of it is that if you're expecting her to exit the show or die, you're not expecting it three episodes from the end of the season. So again, with that kind of like misdirection of, um, you know. I feel like a lot of this episode is set up to kind of lead you slightly away from what you expect. And it turns out to be something, um, you know, which is fitting. I think this should have just been another routine adventure, you know, and it is kind of blindsiding that it suddenly goes very wrong. Um, yeah. So I think it kind of blindsides the viewer as well as, you know, the doctor, um, you know. Yep. Okay.
0: So well, we get we're over.
1: Yeah. Do we have?
0: Well, I was just gonna say, sort of like you mentioned before, that this ends on a cliffhanger. That cliffhanger mm-hmm. being the Doctor disappears and we don't know yeah. to where or why or what is to become of him. So yeah, uh, I guess that's we'll have to figure that out next time. So yeah yeah um so yeah let's move on to angel
1: okay (laughs) slightly lighter episode um a little bit a little bit disharmony i do like harmony a lot um yeah she's nice to see her she's super funny um nice to see her crossing over um although man was i disappointed in her in the end but we'll get to that um so let's start with Cordy, um, because I feel like in the kind of like larger arc, you know, scheme of things, um, you know, this obviously has to do with Cordy and Harmony's relationship in particular, but we're also kind of keeping going this overall theme of Cordy's feeling of like betrayal about Angel. Um you know and you know her feeling of who can you trust which of your friends are actually trustworthy have any of them really earned it um so right. you kind of start with uh you know same as in the last episodes you have uh her continuing to be pretty reluctant to you know be friends with with him and um you know she kind of outright she literally outright says we're not friends um you know and you get his little uh awkward attempts to try to figure out what would you know get her to come around so uh most of what she says to Wesley like it's you know things about you know what if I buy her flowers and um You know, if he can only just say the right thing and he gives her like the day off, you know, it's like trying to like buy, you know, buy back his, you know, his trust, Um, which is sort of what Wesley ends up saying is uh, you can't do that. You have to just give her the time and the space to get over it naturally and, you know. And hopefully just by being there as a friend, that's enough, Um, you know, and like buying her flowers and, you know, giving her the day off is sort of like, you know, those are nice gestures, but they sort of pale in comparison to, you know, deeper betrayal. I think like that's kind of the slightly the easy way out. Um, Although, you know, I kind of understand why he would, you know, where he's coming from. Mm -hmm. but yeah of all of them Cordy seems the most uh you know stung by what he did that like you know I don't think Wesley and Gunn don't seem maybe they don't they don't trust Angel quite as much as they did before and maybe they're annoyed with him but they don't seem to take it as personally as Cordy does, which I think makes sense yeah. because there's the longest relationship there. Right. That she's been with him since they got here and known him from before that. So there's, you know, she's the one who's most deeply hurt by, you know, yeah. personally offended by what he did.
0: Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with that. And, I mean, that sort of makes sense. Um, I feel like, all along, Gunn has sort of been sort of the, yeah, I'm in it to fight vampires, like, whatever. Like, as long as we're fighting vampires, I'm good. And, like, he's he sort of, like, not that he wasn't maybe upset by Angel going off and doing his own thing, but I also feel like he's more of the role with the punches kind of guy anyway, so it's like, alright, Angel's back, that's cool. And even sort of from Gunn's perspective, like, he has his crew, but, like, hasn't really been working with them in a while. So like there's a sense where gun is al- almost kind of the same way. Like we sure. even got, we haven't got with uh, was it the thin blue line where, um, you know, he meets like two of his members and they're like, dude, where have you been? Like, <laughs> right. you know, right. and, and yeah. so I feel like gun is probably the least and, mm-hmm. you, you know, sort of like the opposite end of the spectrum is Cordy. Not that like he's maybe completely forgiven angel or whatever but like he's probably like all right whatever you're back let's kill some things uh wesley i you know i think wesley is certainly offended and and, and you get like the comments about like oh you know where's the flowers for getting shot in the gut kind of right right,
1: right, yeah that kind of of sarcastic yeah
0: but i also feel like there's a part of wesley that's sort of enjoying it too one (laughs) one because he's now the boss Right. Uh, but also because like I feel like he sort of has a little bit of a sadistic pleasure in uh, sort of making Angel squirm like the whole mm-hmm. like sort of just awkwardly standing there until Angel realizes that like it's no longer his desk kind of thing.
1: Right.
0: And also that like Wesley, Wesley is, and I think, in a way, always has been, although maybe he's been more or less effective at times. Uh, he's more about, like, consensus building and, uh, you know, trying to find common ground with people in general. So even though, like, I feel like he, you know, is hurt by the fact that Angel left and maybe didn't trust him, like, yeah. he's he's more, he his personality is more of a, okay, how can we repair this? Whereas Corey is more about you hurt me and now I don't trust you. And and it's almost purely emotional. And and as mm-hmm. has always been with Cordy. Like I don't think this has changed even though even though she's become less superficial, she's still always been, I'm gonna say whatever's on my mind, and this is what's on right. my mind. And right. the thing that's on my mind is I'm pissed at you. And that's the way it is. Right. Um so Yeah, I I definitely agree that of the three, Cordy sort of has the more reluctant and uh, offended position with relation to Angel.
1: Yeah, well, and maybe even that Wesley has more of an outlet to take out that frustration that, like, he can, because he's the boss, he can, you know, (laughs) order Angel around a little bit more. Or he can kind of say, like, you know... uh, this is my desk, you get the little like card table over there. And like, not that that makes up for it, you know, but, you know, as, as more of an authority in the group, he can kind of has an outlet, I think, for some of his frustrations, whereas, you know, Cordy's expected to work now with somebody who she doesn't trust. And you kind of, it's, you know, they're in kind of close quarters in life and death situations and that's hard to fault her for that. You know, if you're, sure. you know, you don't want to go into the foxhole with the guy who, you know, screwed you over, you know? Um, yeah. And you, and you wouldn't be wrong for feeling that way necessarily. So yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like that kind of is, uh, you know, a nice setup for this idea of courty how Cordy deals with friends who betray her because then we get her reunion with Harmony. Um, and there's the kind of irony of us knowing that Harmony, you know, or at least Buffy watchers, maybe not all angel watchers, but sure, most of the audience probably knowing that Harmony is a vampire and Cordy not knowing it. So there's this kind of, even though Harmony hasn't done anything to Cordy personally there's this kind of you know subtext of okay here's another betrayed another betrayal another friend that's sort of gone over to the dark side and Cordy not really being aware of that um which is sort of juicy you're waiting for like the moment when you know the realization comes and the confrontation comes and everything um sure but uh and you get like the (laughs) the harmony filtered you know explanation of what all's been going on of you know oh I'm a new person since I you know since I saw you and she talks about her relationship that was too smothering because you know the guy couldn't get enough of her and everything and so it's sort of like yeah. Again, if you know your Buffy, you know the kind of gap between reality and you know what she says has actually been happening. Right. right. Um, well, and it's pretty funny.
0: I mean, not that what she says is inaccurate. It's just who she says it about, <laughs> right? Right. Right. Because right. you know she was the one who was clingy and needy and all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. No. Uh. Yeah. And, and so you get the, like you said, like it's a good setup because uh, you have Harmony who was one of Courtney's best friends. And, and it becomes that thing of like, at least at first of, you know, when you have a real good friend that you've grown up with or that you, you know, knew in high school or whatever, and you see them again and you just sort of click, you know, back into place. Like it's, yeah. you, you, you know, even though you might not have seen them in years, uh, you know, which is true here. I mean, at least a couple of years. Right. Uh, yeah. You know that you just sort of. Like nothing else matters like you, you, you know, like what do they do? They put on their robes and have girl talk and right, get right. pizza, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, you know, so it's it's definitely a contrast with that, you know, uh, Betrayal of angels to to down mm-hmm. this reunion, um, so then you get the uh, interesting development of the of of harmony coming into Courtney's room at night, uh, and sort of the uh, sexual undertones that uh, sure sure that have there. Um, I mean, which is pretty funny. Like again, like. I almost think of, uh, like, the scene with Willow and Spike and, like, the impotence of him having the chip, uh, you know, like a very similar, well, I I can't remember what episode that was, but, like, near the beginning of season four, maybe, or whatever. Um, Yeah, I
1: can't remember what it was called, but,
0: yeah. uh, You know, and so you kind of get a sort of humorous moment there where, um, you know, it's the verbal irony of, and, and the situational irony, like you said, like of us knowing that Harmony is a vampire, you know, but Cordy not and totally coming to the wrong conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and also of Cordy promising not to tell anyone and then immediately calling Willow like the <laughs> next morning. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, all of that's pretty funny, but, you know, in the long long run, um, just the fact that Cordy eventually finds out that Harmony is a a vampire and sort of the next step. Like, what do you, what do you imagine? You know, she's going to go maybe run outside where it's daylight and where Harmony can't get her and, you know, go find Angel and all of that. But no, that's not what happens. She, instead, like they, again, go sit on the couch and have a nice chat. Like, like, oh, so you're a vampire now. Okay, so what 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 does that that mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, which I feel like, I I mean, maybe in a way is like her trying to say, okay, like I had this other vampire angel who was like, you know, he, okay, he's got a soul and you know he's fighting evil, but he betrayed me. So now, like, this is almost like Cordy saying, okay, maybe I can take this person who was a friend and is now yeah. a vampire and sort of build something out of that as well.
1: Yeah, this is sort of like I don't know, redemption by proxy for like like this is Cordy's alright, I'm gonna prove to myself, you know, that, you know, all of my friends don't betray me and you know, or all of the vampire friends. Um, you know, one of them can be good and wanna be good and make good choices and, you know, do the right thing. And so she's you see throughout the episode that determination to give Harmony the benefit of the doubt and give her opportunities to change and defend her from the others, Um, you know, both physically and otherwise, you know, like even her mistakes, you know, even like things like spilling, you know, uh, you know, all over the old books and everything, you know, it's, it's, you know, well, she didn't mean it, you know, it's, even if she's kind of Harmony being kind of a train wreck, Cordy is, you know, she wants to make this work and, you know, we'll make all the excuses for her to, you know, to make that happen. And you kind of feel like there's definitely, you know, some feelings about Angel in there of, you know, I'm not going to let this relationship go the same way as the last one. Um, yeah. And what what kind of was interesting, too, was Harmony's participation in that, that at least uh, from what she says, she, you know, wants to be given those chances and wants to be good and wants to be one of the good guys and everything. Um, you know, especially on a second viewing, it's hard, I think, at times to know. I think this is the the continuing conversation we're having about spike and angel and all the rest is um, you know, how much can vampires really change Um, especially if they don't have a soul. Um, So it's hard to know how to, how genuine to take harmony in her, you know, in what she says, but I want to believe her that she at least wants to, to, one of the good guys, even if she's (laughs) weak-willed in the end. Um, But, like, you kind of figure she could have just shown up and bitten Cordy straight away. She had opportunities to do that. So the fact that she doesn't, you know, maybe she really did, you know, give some effort to, you know, starting this new life in a new place and trying to rekindle this old friendship. Um, you know, she says she hasn't, when it comes out that she's the vampire, she says she hasn't, you know, had human blood in a couple days. And maybe that's true. You know, maybe she is making some sort of effort here to, to, to change and to be different. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say, but.
0: Yeah. And I mean, in a way. And maybe sort of ironically, it's a similar question to what we ask about Spike, right? Like Spike helping out, you know, by killing demons and vampires because he has a chip in his head. Is that, does that make him good or what? And okay, that's like a physical thing, but maybe for for a female vampire, it would be more of an emotional thing. Like she wants to fit in. She wants to find her -hmm. place, right? Like that's kind of the thing... Um, that she keeps talking about is like, you know, finding a purpose and, and having a purpose. And, you know, um, when she figures out that like, well, when the host tells her that, uh, uh, Cordy's the one who's going to sort of show her what that purpose is, that's when she's going to, uh, you know, that's where she's going to, uh, go and who she's going to follow is, is Cordy because she has all the answers or at least Mm -hmm. will lead her in the right direction. Of course, you know, that could be one of those sort of, like, Macbeth prophecy-type things of you don't know... Like, Cordy's the one who leads her to a purpose, but that purpose doesn't mean that she's a good guy, necessarily. (laughs) Like, it just means that Cordy's the one to show her which way to go. And the way she ultimately goes is, oh, yeah, by the way, I betrayed you. (laughs) Right, Um, right,
1: which to bring up the host for a minute, supports that that theory that he is, you know, his role is to put people on their path and the path could be anything, you know, not necessarily, you know, on any one moral side of the spectrum. Um, it could just be, you know, in Harmony's case, you know, embracing, re-embracing her sort of vampire nature Um, you know, because that is, you know, that is what happens. Or, you know, again, we don't know that for sure. Maybe Cordy, you know, she was meant to stay with Cordy and she went off the path. You know, we don't know. Um,
0: Yeah, that's possible, too. I mean, Angel certainly went off his path. So, like, it is possible that that happens, you know, with people. Uh, So, so maybe, yeah, maybe that's right
1: yeah and i am I am kind of bummed that it goes that way because she's you forget that you're supposed to not root for her because she's so likable like you know the way that she's played and everything you wanna you know like Cordy, you want to believe that she's being genuine and that she's capable of of changing and you know means what she says and everything and um sure. you know and i don't to bring up the um the kind of pyramid scheme for a second i don't have a lot to say about them i feel like we agree that they're kind of like the plot device for the episode and everything but sure. um the one thing one aspect i do like of it is that you know she she's harmony's particularly vulnerable at the moment as someone who's searching for a purpose You know, and so you put her in this room with these motivational speakers who are talking about self-actualization and, you know, um, and that kind of feeds in nicely to her being led astray that maybe she really does go in there with the resolve to be one of the, the team and the good guys. And she just doesn't have the willpower to resist, you know, uh, the kind of exploitation of you know this particular cult and everything, so um, you know, and she comes out talking about um, you know all the kind of jargon, um, you know, of these are growth inhibitors, and I'm right. not going to listen to it, like <laughs> right. you know, right. um, so yeah. that's that's funny, yeah, um, and it kind of feels like that's an appropriate thing to sort of convince her to tempt her away from this newfound purpose that she's had for like 20 minutes. Um, (laughs) Right. You know, it's like, she's not maybe even if she was genuine, she's not strong or confident enough to, you know, if we're being generous and saying that she did once change, she doesn't have the, the, you know, the confidence necessary to stick to that. She's kind of very easily persuaded well, Back to you know what what she's been doing,
0: and and in a way, I you know I mean not to like take any blame away from what Harmony does you know by betraying them, but there's also a sense in which the others sort of push her into it before she's ready because she does say yeah, yeah, like yeah. I was Can. thinking of My purpose doing is some Like yeah. yeah. typing or yeah car guarding or whatever yeah and. And they're all like, no, no, you can do this. And she believes them. And so yeah. there is a sense too, you know, again, like, I mean, she's responsible for her own decisions, I guess, but there is a sense where maybe they sort of push her along a little too soon, a little too early, uh, as well. So
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, Cordy especially in again with good motive of of in her in her sort of quest to prove that not all, you know, hashtag not all vampires, you know, will turn, (laughs) (laughs) will turn, you know, evil. She, like you said, she pushes Harmony to biting off more than she can chew in terms of, you know, resisting the temptations and everything. Um, Probably sending her into a den full of motivational speaking vampires was not the greatest idea. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah. We, we suspect that this is a cult. Let's send in the most weak willed person. That yeah. Is the, the most
1: easily persuadable person, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. so. Yeah. 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 It I almost, that, it that, almost that, seems like
0: they would have been better off just doing like a frontal assault on the, you know, right. Yeah. Place, like, which is yeah. basically what ends up, I mean, they go around back, but like, right. right. Basically they just end up having to fight them all anyway. So,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, oh, oh, and we kind of skipped over it a bit, but um, one more thing about her when she's in Caritas, the the hosts referring to her as cacophony instead of harmony. You know that <laughs> right, right. again, like this within her new as this agent of chaos and discord and everything. Um, you know, harmony doesn't necessarily fit her anymore um
0: and and that she likes the name
1: oh that's yeah but what does it mean yeah
0: yeah uh yeah yeah
1: um Um, so which is kind of to bring it back to cordy what makes it you know all the more you know frustrating and upsetting that it goes the way it does because you know after all of her effort to be open-minded and, you know, forgiving and all these things to Harmony, she's, you know, this is another friend who's, you know, betrayed her and, you know, you know broken that trust. So, you know, that's very poignant when she, you know, kind of senses that Angel's there and says, like, don't say anything because there's that kind of, I told you so kind of sense, you know, Um, not that he would have said it necessarily, but you know uh, that's kind of the idea. So, yeah, I mean, not good for Cordy to be having all the close friends, you know, turning on her Um, and not just, and like really turning on her, you know, not, it's not even that harmony you know, ran off to be a bloody vampire and killed somebody. It's that, you know, she deliberately set them up to be attacked and eaten by all the other vampires. So it's not just that she fails her, you know, uh, her whole, like, redemption thing, but she personally, you know, stabs Cordy in the back as well.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. And you have to kind of wonder, so it was like, you know, uh, what was their mantra? Turn to and the rest is food. You kind of wonder which, uh, which one Cordy would have been in Harmony's eyes. Like, would she have been one of the ones that she turned into a vampire or would she have been the one that she kept, you right. know, locked up as, you know, her contribution to the food mm. stores? Right. Uh, I, you know, I don't know that either one is a good outcome. But no. <laughs> just, just yeah. sort of out of curiosity, you know, you have to wonder what Harmony, if she yeah. even thought that far ahead. Um, right, right. what she. Well, you think. do
1: get, again, the problem of how genuine is it comes up. But like, you do get that sense of Harmony has some sort of fantasy that they'll still be friends after this. But like, and right. so maybe, maybe she thinks, maybe she will turn Cordy and they can be vampire friends together. You know, sure. Like, like that could be
0: Darla and Drusilla.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That could be like her kind of, you know, I could see that being a plan of, you know, this will be great. You know, we can, you know, things will be, we'll be best friends just like, cause she says the last time she was really happy was in high school, you know, with Cordy. And so I could see that being kind of her weird little fantasy of how we're going to make it like the old days again. Like, right. you know, us together and that's how it should be um
0: with all the popularity and power and whatever that goes along with it
1: yeah 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 which neither of them have anymore they've both sort of fallen since their glory days of although not really because Cordy kind of talks about how she doesn't have the wealth and the popularity and the power but she's far happier than she was then because those things weren't really making her happy anyway. Um, Right. You know, it's all this, it's this, these other friends that she's found and this meaning and purpose in, you know, in the work that's, you know, uh, kind of changed things and Harmony just sort of laughs. Like it doesn't even register with her that this might, you know, that Cordy might actually be, telling the truth. It's almost like it just sounds so ridiculous. Sure. Um, You know, so, I mean, that makes sense that Harmony doesn't want to find a new kind of purpose. She wants to reinstate her old purpose, you know, that we're going to go, you know, it's about reclaiming that popularity and power and wealth. um, Not about finding something new um, to replace it with.
0: And, you know, recalling back to Sunnydale High School, that uh, Cordy was a big part of why Harmony was popular. <laughs> right, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know, Cordy was the popular one, and Harmony was Harmony was part of her entourage. Is sort yeah, of how yeah. it worked out. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, we talked a little bit about Angel and Wesley and Gunn um, and Cordy and sort of, well well, in particular, Wesley and Cordy and Gunn and their destructive angel. Uh, angel, Wesley, and Gunn sort of knew all along. And like you said, you know, Angel sort of refrains from saying, I told you so at the end. Uh, but of course, one of the ways that he keeps trying to get back into Cordy's good graces is, is by sort of like the supporting her, right? And, mm-hmm. and, what we learn is sort of false support, uh, yeah. you know, because he finally comes out and says, you know, oh, I tried to do it, but I can't. Harmony's no good. Uh, and, yeah. and there is that conversation uh, there where Cordy does kind of acknowledge that fact, like mm-hmm. that she knows that harmony is ultimately a vampire at heart. But yet she still sort of gives it to Angel, uh, you know, insofar as, like, the whole, oh, what, like, because you have a soul, you're better than she yeah. is, and that kind of thing. And Angel's, like, well, yeah, like, that's kind of the point. Um, right. And, and, and Cordy's point about the fact that, like, having a soul didn't stop him from, uh, you know, sort of turning his back on them is a good one. But that still doesn't necessarily mean that Harmony uh, is going to turn out well either. And, right, and right. I feel like in that moment, like where you almost have them sort of agreeing initially, like it, you know, it again comes back to their like almost, you know, had, had the um, sort of schism between Angel and the others never right. happened and Harmony came to town. You mm-hmm. almost feel like Cordy would have been more willing to listen then and been like, okay, yes, let's be on our guard. But that's right. not what happened. So you get Cordy kind of swinging the other way precisely because Angel expresses his concern. Uh, right. And sort of goes back on his initial support of uh, Harvey, or, you know, for Cordelia supporting Harmony. And yeah, there's
1: something kind of like defiant about it of like you know because you're telling me i'll show you you know that kind of like i'm gonna prove you wrong type thing but yeah like she does a really good job of condemning angel she just doesn't necessarily uh convincingly uh support the idea of harmony being able to change like it's like, yes, it's very true that people with souls can turn evil and betray you, but is the opposite true? Like, can, you know, can soulless monsters turn good is, if not disproven, at least still in doubt, you know, um right. at this point, like Harmony doesn't, um, does, doesn't exactly do a lot to help that thesis. Um, sure. But yeah, like it, it's a it is a it is a good point about Angel that, you know, yes, maybe having a soul gives you the capability for change, but it certainly doesn't guarantee it. Um, you know, and it doesn't stop him from making, you know, uh bad choices, you know. Um, which I think she's perfectly right about. Um yeah but he does get back in her good graces <laughs> in the end. <laughs>
0: so we come,
1: we come full circle back to his, um, buying his way back into her affections. Um, which on the one hand is like, Oh, you know, funny, superficial, courty, you know, haha. But on the other hand, it's like, well, even in the really serious conversation, she brought up the fact of like, you gave away my clothes and, and I'm the needy, like, She's a poor person. Like, they are living hand to mouth and scraping by. Yeah, like, what is he giving her? So, again, it's not just the material aspect of it, but it's that sense of not valuing what's hers, you know? Like, as either her things or just as a person. And so, even though it's kind of, again, superficial, there's something deeper about it of... I acknowledge what I did, and I will make up for it. You know, so
0: right, right. I feel like
1: it has some sort of deeper significance beyond just oh, Cordy likes to get new things, and you know, yeah, uh, is shallow. You yeah. know, um,
0: no, I definitely agree. I mean, it, You know, if your possessions are sort of an extension of you, then by giving away Cordy's clothes, he's showing that he has no respect for Cordy you know, and her stuff by extension. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, this I definitely agree that like there's it's not just superficial cordy, oh, I bought you a dress and now, you know, you're happy with me. It's you know, there is that sense of like, you you betrayed me because you you didn't even consider me as someone who was an individual with feelings. You just kind of went off and did whatever you wanted to in the moment. And so that's what ultimately hurts. not, you know, it's the act of giving the clothes away. What hurts about it uh, is not just that I don't have those clothes anymore, but that you didn't respect me enough to like, at least tell me what your plan was, you know, that you needed to give these clothes away so you could, you know, get into good graces with, you know, the shelter owner and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, You know the fact that you just took my clothes and gave them away is is just it's the disrespect rather than, you know, maybe mm-hmm. the actual physical uh action itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. So So yeah, we'll see, you know, whether any tension lasts, you know. Um you know, maybe uh things may might be forgiven, I don't know. I'm sure Angel still has more work to do to, you know, have everything be forgotten totally. But, um, yeah, Uh, what didn't we cover?
0: I mean, I think we hit all of it. I, you know, I feel like you sort of mentioned before, like there's, you know, the bits with sort of the pyramid scheme and stuff. I don't know that we need to get into you know, all of that stuff more so Mm -hmm. than we have already. Um, So, yeah, I think we hit hit pretty much all of it. Cool. All right. Well, on that note, we'll uh, be back next week with some more Doctor Who and the next episode of Buffy. All
1: right. See you then.